This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. How do you start writing a book? You can just start writing, that's one way, but really, is that the best way to start a book? If you're just starting to write, will it all hang together? For aspiring first-time authors, how do I start writing a book is a question that you've probably asked yourself, asked friends, and even Googled. When you Google that question, everything above the fold yells at you to hire a ghostwriter. Of course, that's not writing a book and you want to write a book, not have someone write it for you. Today, Dave and I are here with some practical advice to help you get started writing your book. But first, we are going to start out this episode as we start out every episode by talking about areas where we've made progress over the past week. So Dave, I'm going to ask you, where have you made progress? This week or this past week, I helped my daughter, Kira, make progress. She is 22 years old. And so this past weekend, I flew down to Nashville, the Nashville area, and helped her pack up her apartment and then drove the U-Haul home uh, on Saturday, last Saturday. So actually, I'm not sure I really helped her do much. My daughter, Kira, is so organized. When we got down there, I was just thinking, you know, we have a half day to get this house packed, this small apartment, and it's all packed. It's all ready to go. And the next day, we had hired two young, strong men to actually move all the boxes into the truck. So honestly, it wasn't that much work. It was all organized when I got there. And then we had people actually loading the truck. But then I drove all the way back. So uh, my, my daughter, Kira, is just amazing. When everybody was coming home during the pandemic six months ago, she said, you know, after college, she's a nurse. And she said, you know, I think I, I want to move to Nashville. So we have family in Nashville. And so she moved down there, started working in a, in a hospital. And so she spent six months at the hospital, many of which were in the COVID unit. And boy, does she have stories to tell about that. But I'm so proud of her sticking it out with no community and, and succeeding in a tough job during a pandemic. At some point, she had this other job offer for the summer to be a COVID nurse at a camp. And she said, you know what, I think I'm going to use that to make a transition back to uh, Illinois. We said, you know what, great idea. We'll help you move back. So Kara is now all moved back. So that's great progress. I have so many questions, but I will try to limit them. What was one memorable story that she shared with you from her experience on the COVID unit? So, So hospitals are still struggling to staff. COVID units. And so there was a lull for a while, that big surge, uh, when, you know, there was this huge surge, and then it really dipped. And so the hospitals had more capacity. And now it's surging again in some areas, not over, not everywhere, but some areas. And in her hospital, it, it had surged again. So, but one of the things that just struck me, and it's more of a, I don't know if it's an antidote, but it's a, I need to be careful how I say this, but she said, it's so weird working in a COVID unit where people are gasping and struggling to live. And you have a fellow COVID nurse who thinks the COVID pandemic is a hoax. Oh, wow. Wow. That so is your so colleagues, 
disconnect, right? Huge disconnect. So there you are trying to save a person's life, give them, give him or her more oxygen. Um, and, and there were people that died that were in her care, not specifically, you know, when she was actually caring for them, but there are a lot of people that didn't make it out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. So it's just odd, you know, you would think at that front line that most people go, you know, this is real, but it's just, just the nature of how world views shape our thinking. And, but that was odd to me. It was just yeah, really that's odd. Very odd. That's very odd. Well, you've got to be so proud of Kira launching another I, child. It's amazing for you. You've now done it twice successfully. And I look up to you and hope that I can do the same with Davis. <laughs> well, our first two kids have done well, and they're also so darn responsible financially. I just think they sure, they certainly did not get that from us. I was talking to my older son the other day, and he was telling me how much money he had saved within nine months of his first professional job. I was like, what? It's really significant. So, uh, so far, so good. We've got two more to go. So you never know. You can't, you can't uh, rest on your laurels. So, (laughs) okay, enough about me. So progress, what kind of progress have you made this last week? Well, I have to go back to a year ago in, I guess it was early May when everything was locked down and my friend Linda she is a bird watcher and so the only thing that we could really do was get out of nature at that point there was nothing open to go to and so she took me out to this place called Horicon Marsh um, up in Wisconsin there's a federal and a state park and um, she's she wanted me to bird watch with her and that first trip I was a terrible bird watcher you know I'm like oh look at the bird as I you know go up really close to you know you're supposed to be kind of stealthy and quiet and I was um anything but that so over the past year I've learned a little bit of bird protocol for Christmas she gave me a bird fanny pack with some binoculars and so I'm reluctantly stepping into bird watching (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I can identify, you know, like three birds, like, you know, sandhill crane and a red-winged blackbird. But I go with her, I put on my binoculars, I try to look for things out in, you know, the, the yonder and look for the things that stick out. And I, I try to enter a world and I'm getting a little bit better about it. Um, last weekend, we went back up to Horicon and that was progress for me. I was in, more engaged than I was previously, and I was entering into my <laughs> friend's world, which is really important for me. So anyway, progress in the bird watching front. Maybe next year at this time, I'll know a third bird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do think that's progress. You know, the joy is the drive up and the lunch afterwards. You know, that's oh, all yeah. the part. Right? We went is- to this place last year called the Wild Goose Restaurant, and it was this kind of hole in the wall. It was Um, part of a gas station and we got cheese curds there and they tasted so amazing so for the past year I've been dreaming of those cheese curds and so we went back and they were just as good but yes you're right it's it's the food as much as the wandering around and enjoying nature but anyway the wild goose up in uh, what is the name of that place it's um Oh, I don't even, oh, Wapan, Wapan. There's a gas station in Wapan with the wild goose and they have the best cheese curds. There you go. My recommendation for the episode. (laughs) Well, for those of you who are not from the Chicago area, Wisconsin is the best for cheese curds and beer. They have a lot of good beer up there as well, but but cheese curds, between beer and cheese curds, 
<laughs> you can pack on a lot of pounds. Yeah, Linda and I were talking Fast. about how they felt like those dinosaur things that you put in water and then they just start expanding. We ate them and then for the next three hours, it felt like our stomach was just getting fuller and fuller and fuller. Like, oh man, maybe we should have split <laughs> right. rather than eating our own. So anyway, yes, progress in small ways and fun ways. That is my progress for the week. All right, Dave, so we are gonna offer some practical advice this week for people who want to know how you actually start a book. So where do people start? How about you give the first nugget of advice? So I think the first one is that you have to decide what kind of book you are writing. And there are not a million kinds of books, but there are several kinds of books and I think that is a really, really important thing to slow down enough to say what kind of book I am writing. So I think the first big fork in the road is this if is this a fiction book or is this a nonfiction book? Now, our experience is in primarily nonfiction. And so we can speak to that. But if it's nonfiction, is this a business book? So, for example, is this something that you want to use? to support your business in some way, whether your consulting practice, your coaching practice, your small business of some sort, or even, well, yeah, even thinking about vintage, we had, uh, what was his name? The, the guy who did, yeah, who did Cabinet and Camera, right? And so that was a book to support his vintage business. So that is, that's a fork in the road. What kind of book is it? Is it a memoir? Is it a, a personal, your personal story, a reflection on a time in your life or um, something that you uh, maybe was a coming of age in some way? So that, that's important because that then would be personal narrative primarily. Or is it a book on the culture, kind of a meta idea? Or is it an inspirational book? You know, more of personal inspiration. There's a thousand different types of books, right? Could be a how-to book. Uh, you remember many years ago, the Dummies books, that series, there was also the Idiot's Guide to, you know, what kind of book is it? And I think you need to stop and ask yourself first, what bucket does this book go into? And I would say even in the business book category, then there are subcategories, right? A business book could be an idea book, right? Like this book that we're um, helping with on disruption. That's an idea book. And then yes. you can have a business book that is a list book, or you could have a business book that is a how-to book, or maybe it's all three in one leads, um, one perspective leads, but even that is going to determine what your next step is. It does also relate to, and maybe this is our second point, who is your ideal reader? Right. That's a big question to answer. Who is your ideal reader? I think of an interview that we did with Amy Davies who is an onboarding expert. And even though she has a business to business company, her business serves other businesses. The book itself was written to the person who's getting laid off. It wasn't written to the human resource executive to whom she sells her services. So who is the ideal reader? That's another question to ask as you think about what kind of book am I going to write? What are the first things that I'm going to do? And that's to ask that question as well. 
And I would just remind people to go listen to our previous episode on when your ideas change, because sometimes you start out with this initial idea of who your audience is, and then you get into it and you realize that your audience is something different. But it's not a bad idea. In fact, it's an excellent idea to start out with who is your audience, because that will help you dig into why are you even writing this book that gets at you want to change lives, right? And so whose life do you want to change? And that may look different down the road as you start to think, oh, wow, somebody else would really benefit from this. So that's my only caveat to that. Things change. And as you write, you start to think things change. So we have two points on how to start a, start a book. One is to decide what kind of book you're writing. The second is to spend a little time thinking about who is your ideal reader. What's the third one, Melissa? I think the third one is you need to ask yourself, what kind of research does this book need? And that's really going to be dependent on your idea, right? Are you going to need a lot of data-based research? Can you do some qualitative research um, to support your ideas? But you may go into this and have a general idea, but you need to do more research to really put some flesh on the bones of that idea. So that's where you start, I think. You need to go figure out what you don't know. I think about some of the authors that we've worked with recently. Um, We did a podcast with Andrew Kite, who did a book for his consulting practice. And so he interviewed, I think it was either 30 or 50 top um, successors in family-owned businesses. So that was the source of his research. So he thought, before I start writing, I need to do this. So he developed a set of questions and set out to conduct these interviews, which I think lasted maybe 90 minutes to three hours. And so that became the formal basis for the book. And through that process, you begin to nuance your idea more and more. And you're given language that you previously didn't have that you get from these interviews or this research that you're doing. And just to be clear, you don't have to do a formal research project. I know some people who start researching their topic by just asking for opinions on their social media account on the topic that they're interested in, or they send out maybe a poll in their newsletter, or they just start informally interviewing friends on the topic. So research doesn't have to be this big, scary monster that you know, if you didn't go to graduate school, then you can't do. It doesn't need to be like that. You just need to begin to ask questions, be curious, and then make the follow-up question and do the follow-up questioning and interviews just so you continually add meat to your idea and really dig into your topic. There are just a lot of ways to do research. I think about all the supportive research that we did on that healthcare book and that you did. So it was reading research that was already out there, was reading some academic articles, it was reading stuff that had been published in the New York Times. I think the question here is, what do I need to know to write this book? And there's just a lot of ways to conduct research. So I really agree. I think for a lot of people not to, they should not be overly, what's the word? crushed by the idea of going out and getting what's called primary research, where you actually interview someone or conduct some sort of quantitative analysis. Uh, Most research isn't done like that. I think of even, who is the guy who wrote the um, 
talking to strangers, Malcolm Gladwell, a lot of his research is not primary research. Here's this major writer. A lot of his stuff, in fact, most of his stuff is looking through the research that's been conducted through the years. And he has a particular angle on, on how he writes and the ideas that he selects for his book. He's always kind of looking for the contrarian idea. Uh, you think you know this, but it's actually this. So he's always looking for that contrarian insight. And so he looks at secondary research to support that. So again, don't be too crushed by this, but I do think it's important to ask, what do I need to know in terms of research to write this book? And can I add another caveat? Absolutely. <laughs> just, just that you're not going to have all the research that you're going to need to write the book in this stage of things. This is just kind of your jumpstart to get you going. As you continue on your writing project, you're gonna continually go back to that material and review the research that you've already done. Other things are gonna pop up while you, while you continue to write. So research isn't a one and done thing. It's something that is continuing in, continually entering into the writing process of your book. So that's Tip number three, ask yourself, what kind of research does this book need? And then go after it. What's the next one, Dave? The very next one is to evaluate your personal experience. Almost every book, almost any kind of book, at least, at least nonfiction book, will include your personal experience, personal stories. And so sorting through and identifying what are the relevant personal uh, stories or personal experiences that I've had that I could use in this book that would really help make this book warm. It would add, it would add in a sense, color to the book. It would also add a sense of person, uh, humanness to this book. Uh, and, and I think that's a big, important piece. So sometimes your personal experience will be the primary source of research for the book. So in Death by Suburb, the book I wrote, in many ways, my personal experience of growing up in a rural community and then suddenly experiencing suburban community and all those changes, that really drove much of the book. Now, there was a lot of other references to people who had done some thinking on sociological thinking on the suburbs, such as, I forget the name, it was called Crabgrass Frontier, which was a book by a sociologist that really shaped my thinking on, on the whole book. But there's all sorts of different kinds of, of research, but that personal experience, my personal experience really drove much of that book. I would even say that your personal experience is often the passion behind your book. I think of this book on disruption. There's a lot of personal narrative in there from the author's experience at a legacy company and trying to lead it and being really stopped at every moment he tried to make progress. And that, so there's a lot of personal story in this business book. Even in these books that are business books, culture books, you can insert your, your personal story, your experience. But the key is, and you said it earlier, Dave, is it relevant? Pick out the stories that are relevant. Don't just put in things that you know, you're working out like as therapy, you know, <laughs> you got to really yeah, that's so, true. so that they are pertinent to your big idea. I love the fact that you tied it back to passion for why you're writing the book. And I think often personal experience does do that. I just can't imagine reading a book. I'm just, uh, well, I've read several times, but I just keep going back to Stephen King's book, uh, his book on writing. And he, he tells a story in there about his alcoholism. 
and, and where it drove him and where it got him and, and just kind of the brokenness of that. And part of the power of that book is hearing his personal experience, both writing, but also his, his life story. And it's, it's what makes that book so powerful. Now there are all these great writing insights throughout the book, but man, those personal stories really make that book live. I recall one time I sat with an aspiring author and it was her first time writing a book and we sat together at a coffee shop and she had jotted down all these kind of personal experiences that she had and she could create books out of. And I just asked her, I said, what, what do you feel most passionate about? And she landed on this one topic that she's now pursuing. And so I think that that's huge. You can have a lot of different personal stories, but I think you need to lean into the one that you have the most passion about if you're going to write from personal experience. So that was number four. We're moving on to number five, which is go back to your presentations if you're writing a business book. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you may remember an episode that we did about you can't turn your PowerPoint presentations into a book. So this may be a little bit like we're contradicting ourselves, but we're not. You hang with us here. <laughs> we are saying that if you are a speaker, if you're a presenter, you likely have had a handful of presentations or speeches that you have delivered. And within those are some great content to begin to figure out the topic that you think you could really write on for the full extent of a book. What are the key themes? And are there any connections among the themes? And also, which one do you feel most passionately about? Or which one, which PowerPoint presentation did you um, conduct that got the most feedback, that got the most, that raised the eyebrows of the people that you that you spoke to. Looking for those elements among your presentations is a great place to start. It really is. And one strategy I would say is you get all these speeches, all these presentations, and you start divvying them up into content categories. And pretty soon, I think you'll see a common thread among a group of these presentations where um, you're and you realize, oh, this is a major theme. These other ones are maybe sub-themes or something that aren't fully as fully developed as this major theme. So I think that act of kind of grouping content into categories can really help you also identify what you have the most thinking on already. But a caveat, and we mentioned this in the podcast that I already referred to, is you can't just dump these PowerPoint presentations or speeches into individual chapters because it is a very different medium than delivering a presentation. So you're gonna to have to package that material as a book um, with the appropriate stories, with transitions, um, with all those things that you have to think about when you're writing a book. I don't know of any book I've read where somebody's taking, taking a presentation and just thrown it into their book structure and created a book. I'm sure there are lots of books like that but I can't imagine that they're that interesting and they're that gripping. You're going to have to do some work. Presentations really are a great place to start to look for ideas, themes. It just is not enough. Um, it's not the book itself. It's a great place to start. And also 
your the research from the original time you did the presentation to your present moment in time could be completely different as far as what has changed in culture, what has changed in in your discipline or in the business industry that you're in, what has changed because what seemed really relevant five years ago may not be as relevant today. So you may have to tweak that anyway, but the big idea might still be there. So yeah, you just gotta be really careful when you use your presentation material because it could be dated, it could be really focused on a very specific audience, whereas your book could be a completely different audience. So just be aware of that. It's a good place to begin to identify themes. So, so that I think that's the big principle here. All right, that's number five. Number six is start creating car parts. And Dave, I'm going to let you talk about this because this is something that you passed on to me. So you go at it. So this is to reiterate, start to create, quote, car parts, unquote. So I got this analogy from an author with whom I worked with several years ago. And I don't even think I should say I worked with him. I don't think he needed me that much. He was a tremendous author and we just helped basically publish his book. And, it, and But he talked about going through a lot of his writing through the years and looking for what he called car parts. Now, when you think of a car part, you think of an alternator, you think of a battery, you might think of a, a, a starter, you might think of tires, you might think of the radio. I mean, these are all parts of a car. They're all things that by themselves don't make the car, but they are good because they're part of a car. So I love the analogy. And he said, so for example, with when we looked at his writings, we would look at, a, let's say, an article that he had written, and we would take out the introduction because it was such a great introduction. It was a great story that became a car part. So we took that out and saved it and put it into a file that we called car parts. So I think as you start to think about writing a book right away, you have stories that come to mind, just jot them down and put them in a file called car parts. And it's the story about, let's say when you took a trip to California in 2012, you may come across a great quote. You're reading something and you come across a really, really great quote. Take that quote and throw it into your car parts. That's a car part. You may use it. You may not use it. But at the moment, you thought it was a great quote. So just capture it and put it as car parts. So there, you can do that with bits of research, quotes, as I mentioned, your own stories, the stories you hear of others, and just even observations. One of the things about Death by Suburb, one of the things I put into a document, and I would call it a car part, was I began to observe these tiny size four suburban women driving these huge suburban SUVs. And it was odd to me because I grew up in the rural community. And often even some of the farmers in, you know, that had that would get two foot of snow in the wintertime wouldn't have these big SUVs. They'd have tractors and other types of vehicles that get them around. But it was just so odd to me. So it was just an observation. So I asked myself, so why is it that we drive these, these big vehicles in a suburb in which we might get an inch of snow every couple uh, weeks during the wintertime? So that's an observation. So that observation is a car park. And so as you start to write, 
creating a file called car parts and starting to throw in ideas, stories, quotes. It's just a great way to begin to build and to start the book. Yeah, that is a great way. I know that we just talked about presentations. If you don't have a lot of presentations, but maybe you've done a blog post on a topic and you just want to get it out of the, the cloud and capture it so you have it somewhere, take out you know a paragraph from that that you thought was really insightful and, and really is reflective of your current thinking. You know, Put that in a file. We interviewed Jim Morris, who did a column for a local media uh, magazine, and he started many of his chapters with those columns, pieces of those columns. Those were a car part um, yes. for his book. So there are lots of different types of car parts. You got to, I mean, look back at all the writing that you've done. Surely if you have been writing a blog, there are some ideas in there. Um, maybe even an email that you sent to somebody. Go back to your um, archives and look for that email exchange that you had with somebody. There, there are so many pieces of written word that could be so valuable for you as you continue to write your book and it just might spark some new energy and spark a direction for your book. I don't think you can ever have too much or too many, excuse me, car parts and which, which become to use the word grist for your book. Now you may not use a lot of them, but the more you have, the more that you can sort through them and find the best of the best. And so it's just a discipline to help you get started writing the book. And maybe what you do is you just take one of them and use it as your opening story for your first chapter and boom, you're already starting to write. So car parts, I think, are a really essential element of learning to start to write. So that was tip number six, start creating car parts. Now let's move on to our seventh and final tip, which is to start writing regularly. And I cannot encourage this enough. If you don't know what to write about, just spend time writing. My sister, she recently joined a writing through grief course where she lost her son last, last November. And so she, write, she joined this group and she's starting to write all these wonderful, beautiful things. And I think eventually she might have a book in her, but I think she's uncovering things that she never knew were inside of her. And I, I use that as an example because I think you don't know what's inside of you and what you're passionate about and what you know until you start writing. So I think the act of writing regularly will help you begin to uncover those things that really are important to you. I like the idea of even writing about an experience. So for example, we talked about at the beginning of the podcast about areas where we made progress, you could write about the day of learning how to bird watch and maybe the, the time you spent at the eating the cheese curds and what you learned and the emotion after the day, that would be a great place to start. I could tell the story of what it's like to move your daughter back from Nashville. It seems like every day you have stories that occur that you could write about. And I think the only way to, to write is to write. There is no shortcut. Right. And maybe don't look at it as a big writing assignment. I do a lot of my writing on Instagram and those are really, really short form pieces, you know, no more than a hundred words mostly. And, but I learn how to tell a story through that. I learn how to, I learn how to zero in on an, on an idea. So just don't make it a big deal. Just do something short and that's going to get you actively thinking because as we say, writing is thinking. You know, Dave, it gets me thinking about all of those promotions you see online that say write a book in 30 days. And you and I aren't a fan of that, but I do like the idea 
of committing to writing for 30 days, not writing a book and completing it, but just commit to writing for 30 days and see what happens. Maybe at the beginning of the month, write down 30 prompts, you know, um, maybe just to get you thinking about something. And then each day write in response to that prompt. And you're gonna make huge progress in not only storytelling, but you're also gonna have clarity on what is really important to you. You're going to, you're just gonna become freer with your language. So just commit to 30 days of writing, not writing a book, just writing. What is a prompt and how you have used that in your Instagram writing? One week I was doing um, a series of posts on the color green and Everybody asks me, you know, why do you like the color green? So I figured that's a good writing prompt. Why do I like the color green? And I decided to answer that in one of my posts. And it all goes back to my grandmother's kitchen and this very sentimental moment. You can go to my Instagram page if you want to read it. I won't bore you with it here. So just asking one question, why do you like the color green, led to this kind of story and this deeper insight about what is important to me. So that's a writing prompt. I mean, another writing prompt could be, you know, when did you most recently feel delighted by something unexpected? That's pretty broad and it could go a number of directions. My sister got a writing prompt today is what do you want people to stop saying to you in your grief? And that was her writing prompt. So Maybe Dave, you could ask, you could ask, what was it like when I caught my last fish? How did that make me feel? Or what surprised me on my last fishing trip? There are so many ways that you could go. And I think that's the joy of a prompt is you don't know exactly where it's going to end up. I'd really like the idea of prompts, a 30 day, write for 30 minutes on a prompt and set up the 30 prompts uh, in advance. So I, I could see like, what's my largest fish, my smallest fish, my you know, the, where I almost drowned, you know, are, are the most treacherous time out fly fishing. I was thinking about just when you said uh, something about fly fishing and fishing, I was just thinking about where I caught my largest fish in Montana was exactly where a grizzly bear mauled and killed a guy this last week. The wow. exact place where we were fly fishing. Talk about having a sense of mortality. When you hear stories like that, that really makes you realize you are not immortal. <laughs> or No, you're not. But those are great writing prompts. So I, I love this idea of starting to write regularly. And I like the idea of 30 prompts uh, for 30 days and writing 30 minutes or even 15 minutes. At least it gets you out of the gate and helps you start to write. Well, I hope that these seven tips have helped you to think about how to get started writing your book. Um, we'd love to hear from you on our Facebook page if any of these were particularly helpful. All right, Dave, it's time for our words of the episode. So my word of the episode is inviolable, inviolable. I had to go listen to that multiple times on MarianWebsters.com. And it is a word that I have read many times and I've heard, but I have never known exactly what it meant. If somebody said used inviolable in a sentence, I would never have even attempted to because I really don't know what it meant. So I, I guess I probably would think that it had something to do with violation because viola is in there, but it actually means never to be broken. And so this exercise of reading poetry with my son is forcing me to go look up words I don't know. And this was actually in a poem by Ezra Pound called The Return, and I'll just read it in context. See, they return one and by one with fear as half awakened as if the snow should hesitate and murmur in the wind and half turn back. These were the winged with awe inviolable. 
And so out of context, it doesn't make much sense, but it is a poem about the Greek gods who at once were very powerful, but they are now returning and waning in power. And the poem is all about what does it mean for, for people who are reading this, who are in power to recognize that their power too may wane or for people who are not in power, is it hopeful because it is this, this realization that you know people won't always have the same might, but inviolable means they won't ever truly be broken. <laughs> you know, in this sense, the Greek gods will always be in our reading of Greek mythology and freshman English. You know, they have transcended the ages, so they are inviolable. They will never be broken completely. So that is my word, inviolable. That is really powerful about the Greek gods who are waning in power, but they're inviolable, meaning they will never be broken entirely. Whew, that's pretty deep. Yeah, I know. I sound deeper than I really am. You should have seen me trying to figure out this poem last night. I'm like, what? <laughs> I had to read it like 10 times. And then I really only got you know, half an understanding. But I love poetry for that reason. It really causes you to think. So Dave, what is your word? So my word is in a sense related or almost the antithesis of, of what you just said. Mine is ruination, ruination. It's the act or state of ruining or the state of being ruined. And I got the word from Stephen King's book about writing. I think it's on writing it's called. And he tells a story about Dodie. Dodie was one of two girls in his high school class who were mistreated. And for some reason, some kids just get a lot of mistreatment and hassle and, and name calling. But her name was Dodie. And eventually she put a bullet, a 22 bullet in her tummy and killed herself. She committed suicide a few years later. But he, he said this, I had several classes with her and was able to observe Dodie's ruination at first hand. Hmm, that is a great word, a great word. How much better is that than to say to observe Dodie's ruin? Because ruination is more um, process, right? Ruin it's is- It's more process, yeah. Yeah, so I like that word, I'm gonna use it. Not to be confused with rumination, put an M before that I, you got a completely different word. So it's ruination, R-U-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. Love it. Yeah. Ruination. Yeah. Great word. Yeah. Great word. Great word to round out this episode. Before we close out this episode completely, Dave, do you want to tell us a little bit about Road Trippers? Road Trippers is our Facebook group. So all you have to do to join it is jump on Facebook, search for Road Trippers. There are several groups. Jump on and ask to join the group as a private group. We'll let you in. And then you will receive a link to our weekly Q&A Zoom meeting that Melissa and I do. We have a great group of writers that we talk to every week. We talk about all sorts of things, including about where each person is in their writing journey. We also do a short teaching session that either uh, Melissa or I will do. I think last week it was on, what was it on last week, Melissa? Backstory, using backstory effectively in your stories in your book. Ah, oh, that's right. That was so good. And how to do that based on uh, after you research someone and how to integrate that into your into your writing in a really compelling way without overwhelming people with too many details. That was great stuff. So if you love 
to join our weekly Q&A group or just see all the different posts that we have on Road Trippers, go to Facebook, search for Road Trippers and ask to join the group and we'll let you in. Awesome. We would love to have you join. With that, I think that's a wrap. So I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write.